Okay, so we're going to get in, um, just by way of reminder, last week we were looking at the restoration of the church that Jesus started being a part of that today. And we looked at 2 Chronicles chapter 30, at the reforms of King Hezekiah of Judah, who came into his kingship and was leading a wayward nation who had left God, and he made some reforms to bring his nation back to God. And we use the things, the specific reforms that he made in 2 Chronicles 30 to look at how do we today be a part of what Jesus is doing to restore the church that he originally started. How many of you know the church has, at least in part, drifted from her original identity from 2,000 years ago? We want to see today what was happening in the life of Jesus 2,000 years ago, happening through the church today. We want to see what was happening in the book of Acts through the original church happening today. How many of you are with me on that desire? I hope to God every person dreams of a glorious church. To not just do church as usual, but to be a part of what Jesus is building. And so we look specifically at five things. I'll just read them off quickly from last week. One key to restoring the church that Jesus is building is that we are all called to share Jesus with others. Everybody. If you know Jesus, you immediately have a responsibility to go and share Jesus. Secondly, was sharing meals with each other. Fundamental to true church community. Up and down, left and right, all over the New Testament. Thirdly, is removing idols from our hearts. Fourthly, it was living in joyful praise. This is not an exhaustive list, but it is directly from 2 Chronicles 30, and it's a picture for us. And lastly, fifthly, was receiving God's word. We're going to pick up from there today, looking at the next chapter, 2 Chronicles 31. You can go and turn there now if you want to, but today we're going to look at just two other keys to restoring the church that Jesus actually started. One is that everybody participates in the ministry. Everybody. And I don't just mean pitch in and make coffee, as awesome as that is, Priscilla. Thank you, and, and Minda. Uh, I'm talking about called of God with a gift of Jesus inside of you to participate in the ministry. And then secondly, is generous support of God's work. Keys to restoring the church that Jesus started. So would you, would you be okay if we pray? I just want to pray over the speaking of God's word that it would do its, what it's sent to do. So Lord, we do, thank you for exactly that. You said that your word will not return to you void, but will accomplish that for which it is sent. And we bring your, your word before you, and we thank you for the light of your word. We thank you that it's not just words on a page, and it's not just information to our brains. By your spirit, you can make it revelation. You can make it the living word of God. And so we invite you now, Jesus, you are the living word of God. And we invite you, by your Holy Spirit, would you be revealed. We pray that the truth of your word would be like a sword, and it would cut, a, cut asunder our thoughts from your thoughts so that we could clearly see how to believe. We could see how to live. That we could follow you 
We ask you for the empowering of your word to breathe grace and desire from heaven into our hearts to will and to do the will of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start with 2 Chronicles 31, verse 1. And it says, if you're there, 2 Chronicles, of course, is in the Old Testament. It's after 1 Chronicles. And we're looking at the 31st uh, chapter. Verse 1, now when all this was finished, what was finished? It was the restoration of the temple. It was the first celebration of the Passover. It was a second week of celebrating the Passover. They were celebrating. They were returning to the Lord. They were again becoming turned on to God and, and spiritually made alive. When all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out of the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars in pieces. They cut down the wooden images and threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. I would say that there's something of revival that was happening here. There was connection with God. There was a vehemence in their heart to destroy everything that had been challenging their, their devotion to God. And it says, Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his possession. This is the context. Revival's breaking out. How many of you want to see revival break out? I don't know what revival means to you, but I know what it means to me. It means the, the kingdom of God manifesting in the earth through the church, just as the kingdom of God manifested in the earth through the person of Jesus, just like the kingdom of God manifested in the earth through that amazing uh, first church that we see of in the book of Acts, that people would see not just a church, they would see heaven and the God of heaven in seeing us. The first point, everybody participating in the ministry. Verse 2, and Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites according to their divisions. So now all of a sudden we've got the appointing of priests, and not only that, but each of these priests apparently are all supposed to be divided into, into different roles. Are you following that? And so <clears throat> their divisions, each man according to his service. You may say, well, that's great, uh, priests. What does that even mean? Well, I want to make one really important point is that in Christ, according to the New Testament, every person who has called upon Jesus and become a son and daughter of God has become a priest unto God. If you have received Jesus, you are, according to Scripture, a priest. And so you don't have to turn there now. Can I just read a couple Scriptures to reinforce what I'm saying? First Peter, New Testament, right? First Peter, the Apostle. Chapter 2, verse 5. You also... As living stones are being built up a spiritual house. Do you know that you're, you and I, <clears throat> if we're doing this thing right, we are being built into a house. N not a physical house, right? But a house. And who lives in the house? God dwells on the earth through the church. You are being, and as living stones, what does that mean? Just like a house in that day would be built by stones, but of course those stones did not have biotic life. The difference is you and I have biotic life. We're human, we're breathing, we're talking, we're speaking, we're living stones fitted together. Which means it's not okay for each of us just to be a stone here and a stone there and we're stones. 
a house has to be fitted together to become, to have walls up. That means you and I need to find our way of connecting one another in relationship and in church. And as we do that, walls are framed and God can come and dwell in the church uh, through the earth. But uh, in the earth through the church. <clears throat> but let's finish that verse. A spiritual house, a holy priesthood. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. According to what we just read, you and I are called and become in Christ the priesthood. Revelations chapter 1, verse 5. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Who's that? Who's that other than the elders? Jesus. He's the one who washed us. He's the one who uh, washed us from our sins and loved us. To him who, uh, our sins in his own blood, and verse 6, and he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We are all made priests. Why is this important? What did a priest do? I think you could probably divide what a priest did in Hezekiah's time in the Old Testament into three main functions. One was they represented man to God. They were officiated over the animal sacrifices that were bringing man's sin to God and saying, here's a sacrifice to atone for this sin. They represented man to God. Secondly, they represented God to man. They took the law of God and they taught the people of God that they would know his ways, that they would be instructed in his ways. That's what the priesthood did. And thirdly, they were the ones to all the time officiate over the, the uh, affairs of the temple. And later in the synagogue. Who in here is a priest? That means you're responsible to represent man to God. By praying and interceding over man. In fact, God won't do fully what he wants to do until there's men and women praying the will of God for man. What are you called to do as a priest? Represent God to man. People aren't going to get saved until people preach the gospel. I'm not talking about a soapbox on the corner. I'm talking about loving people and finding ways to, to share your faith. Representing God to man, discipling people. Representing God to man by operating in the gifts of the Spirit, where the Holy Spirit manifests through a person to minister to another person. God to man, and then officiating over the affairs of the temple. Every person in here is called to carry the load of God's work in the earth. You are all priests. Are you hearing this? Well, I thought like the New Testament version of priest was the pastor. I'm a priest too. And you are called every bit as much as me. Not just called to make coffee, called to be anointed of God to represent him in the earth. And so, this means that we all have a role in representing God to earth. My prayer this morning has been that our eyes would be lifted from ourselves so that we could see the amazing inheritance of what God, by his grace, wants to do through us in spite of our weaknesses and deficiencies. That we could see not what we're able to do, but what God has said about us. You follow? So, 
There are three different kind of areas. This is not exhaustive, but I just want to toss at us this morning as a local church to ground us in some New Testament truth regarding the roles and the ministries and the gifts that operate in the church. Why? Because you and I, every person in this room is, needs to respond to the call of God and to begin to operate in function. There are three areas. One would be the manifestation or of, the, of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We see in 1 Corinthians 12. You can turn there now if you want. Another would be what we call grace gifts, which we hear about in Romans chapter 12. And then I'm going to throw in there what we call equipping ministries or equipping gifts, which we find in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to, we're going to dig into some, because Hezekiah set the priests according into their divisions, according to their areas of service. And I would say Jesus, in restoring the church that he started, needs to set the priests into their divisions according to their work of service. You need to know what God is wanting to do through you. Not just in you, through you to others. Okay? So <clears throat> let's look at that first list. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is called the gifts of the Spirit or the manifestation of the Spirit. If you can, you can turn with me. 1 Corinthians 12, we'll start in verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works in all. Who here is included in all? If that's, yeah, there we go. Thank you, Paul Kulik. So, if that's the case, then if you are a part of all, that means you have gifts operating in you, ministries that you're called to operate in, and activities that you're called to do on his behalf, according to the verse that we just read. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. The manifestation, some of the people call it the gifts of the Spirit. Rodney and I probably prefer to call it the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? Because if you say gifts, it can be confusing because people start to think that I have a gift of healing, or I have a gift of prophecy, or I have a gift of uh, word of wisdom. And while that, there's truth to that, really, you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit chooses to manifest himself through different ways at different times. You don't have all these nine gifts operating in you any, at any time, but what you do have at any time is the Holy Spirit. And when we turn ourselves to be used and ask to be used and position our heart to be used, that Spirit can move upon us in unction and anointing to edify others. Every person in here, if you have called upon Jesus and make yourself available, become uh, uh, not worthy, help me with the word, uh, you become capable, candidate, to be used in the way that we're about to read. Uh, the first thing that we deal with when we talk about this stuff is people feel like, oh, I can't do that, I'm not spiritual enough, or I, I sinned last week, or whatever. No, no, if, you have, if your heart has turned to Jesus, you're in faith. If you've sinned, repent, confess it. But if you're in faith, you are candidate to be used in this way. Let's read about what these are. Each one for the profit of all. Are the gifts of the Spirit for your own profit? They are for somebody else. Well, yeah, for all of us. You included. <laughs> but the point is, this isn't about you anymore. At some point in your maturity, you need to be about them. 
Verse 8, for to one, see, it's given to all, working in all and each one, but to one. So God picks one person who is turning their heart. To one is given the word of wisdom. Uh, so we'll just quickly kind of identify what these mean. Word of wisdom. Word of wisdom is when the Holy Spirit gives you supernatural understanding about things that have not yet happened, and you have something of practical application of, about what is supposed to be done to be prepared for it. Jesus uh, said to Peter, before the cock crows three uh, t this morning, you're going to deny me three times. Word of wisdom. Through, uh, through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge. What is word of knowledge? That's supernatural. Not just knowledge, not just head knowledge. Supernaturally discerned knowledge about facts, times, places, events, things in a person's life. Jesus said to the woman at the well, you're right that you say you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the one that you're with now is not even your husband. That's a word of knowledge. John chapter 4. Uh, word of knowledge through the same spirit. Verse 9, to another, faith. What is faith? All of us have faith, right? We get saved by faith, but this is the gift or the manifestation of the spirit of the gift of faith. This is a supernatural faith to trust God and believe for the impossible in a circumstance. Perhaps Jesus falling asleep in the boat during a storm was a gift of faith. Uh, there's many we, we, others that we could say. By the same spirit. To another, gifts of healings. That's obvious. Laying on of hands, seeing somebody who is sick or disabled made well. By the same spirit. Verse 10. To another, the working of miracles. How many of you know that these things are still supposed to happen today? Miracles. That's Jesus rising up and speaking to a storm and saying, be calmed and it actually is calmed. That's, a, that's, that's the operation of the gift of a miracle. To another prophecy. Prophecy, it, what is that? That's a message given to you by the Lord. It's an it's a, it's a unction. It's a f sense about another person. A sense that, of what God's wanting to say. By the way, usually you get a part of it. And in, it's in the delivering of what you're sensing that the rest comes. And prophecy is for exhortation, edification, and comfort. It is not for correction. It's not for spying out all the sins in a person's life. It is to exhort, encourage, and edify another believer. And that is a, you all may prophesy. Two chapters later, 1 Corinthians 14. Everyone is encouraged to prophesy. It's dipping into the heart of God to encourage his sons and daughters. Prophecy. To another, the discerning of spirits. What is that? That's a supernatural discernment of the operation of demonic activity and ex exercise of uh, divine authority over it. That's the casting out of demons. Discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues. Tongues in the scripture, you see something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see three occasions of it in the book of Acts. Every single occasion that you see the people being baptized in the Holy Spirit, they speak with other tongues. I know there's a lot of controversy in the body of Christ. I take all three of those testimonies to lead me to believe tongues is supposed to accompany the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Tongues, you can pray with the Spirit, which is for your own edification, praying in tongues. If you think tongues is weird, I am the weirdest person in this room. I pray in tongues all the time. <laughs> In the shower, mowing the lawn, which I don't do anymore because I've got teenage kids. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so I just stay inside and pray tongues instead. 
praying for, prepping for messages. Pre- I mean, half of it's me praying in tongues. On, on and on and on. In the morning, I pray. Why? Because it builds according to the scripture. It builds you up in your most holy faith. The gift of tongues is for edification of other believers. That is when you feel an unction, a, 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 a stirring in your spirit that you're supposed to pray in tongues or speak in tongues, but you're supposed to release it publicly. And when that happens, you should pray that God would also give you the next gift, the interpretation of tongues. And if you don't have it, somebody in the room will. And tongues plus the interpretation of tongues brings about usually prophecy. You follow? Gifts of the Spirit. Who is included in operating in this? Thank you. You all are priests. Let's go on to, let me, before I go on, I want to encourage you, look for impulses. First of all, actually, before you look for impulses, first of all, zealously desire that the Holy Spirit would manifest through you for others. He moves upon those who are asking for it. Not those who are like, I wonder if God's going to. No, it's the people who are going after it that God meets their faith. First, zealously desire. Secondly, as you're doing that, look for the impulses. You might feel like you have this, this thought about a person. And you just feel like this desire to share it with them, to encourage them. And you're like, oh my gosh, how do I say it? And how do I even start this? How do I say that? that if it feels like that, that probably means it's God. Because it's uncomfortable. Look for the impulses. Let me just throw some things at you. Do you have a message of encouragement for somebody? Do you have a message of uh, supernatural knowledge about somebody? Details about a person that comes with usually a message. Do you have a prompting to lay hands upon a person and pray? Do you have sometimes an impulse to speak in a tongue in a corporate gathering? You pray in tongues, but I feel like I'm supposed to say it out loud. Look for that step out in faith. Okay, let's go on to the next uh, division of, of giftings that we see in the scripture. Romans chapter 12. So you've got the four gospels. You've got the book of Acts right after that. First epistle is the book of Romans. Paul's letter to the Romans. Chapter 12. Chapter 4. Chapter 12. Starting in verse 4. Okay, so in the last gifts of the Spirit, manifestations of the Spirit, you have the Spirit in you all the time. You aren't given a gift of word of knowledge. You're given the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit in a moment can give you the gift of the word of knowledge. Romans chapter 12 is different. Romans chapter 12 are what we call grace gifts. That Jeffrey back there, because he's a child of God, has grace in him a manifestation of Jesus that is in him all the time. God doesn't have to come upon him with an impulse or an unction. It's in you all the time. You have this grace operating in your life. Romans chapter 12, verse 4. For as, as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. Verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Verse 6, having, I just want you to take note of that word, having. This is something you have. You know, it's, it's very simple, but this is something you have. 
You're not trying to get this. You have, then, gifts deferring according to the grace that is given to us. Do you know that there is only one person who ever has and ever will have all of the graces of God dwelling in him? And who was that? Jesus. Because of the pride and fallen nature of man, none of us can handle having all the graces and giftings. And God wants it so that we all need each other. That's why we have church. We need each other. Because the, I don't have the grace that's in Bree. And I'm not fully fulfilled until she's in her place and I'm in my place and you're in your place. We all have graces that need to connect together. This is not in a moment. This is something you have all the time. Uh, the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And there are seven gifts. I don't necessarily believe this is an exhaustive list. Maybe it is, but here's the seven Paul mentions. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion <clears throat> to our faith. I know that can be confusing. Some people are given a grace of prophecy, where you have that gift all the time. It's not a manifestation of the Spirit in a moment. You just have a prophetic gift. And that's what Paul's talking about here. If you have that, prophesy in proportion to your faith. God will give you faith to deliver a, a prophetic message. Don't fall short of the faith of how far you're supposed to take it. And don't go beyond what you have faith for. Okay? That's one. Verse seven. Or two, ministry. Which is another, simply means serving. Some of you very well may have a grace for ministry, serving. It's not something that the Holy Spirit comes upon you in a moment. It is in you. At the drop of the hat, 24-7, you have a grace for serving. Mickey probably does have that grace. Uh, min uh, uh, serving, let us use it in our ministering. He who three teaches in teaching. It's a grace. You don't have to feel led in a moment. You can teach at any given moment. Uh, number four, he who exhorts in exhortation. That means encouraging, rallying the troops to see who they're supposed to be and to run with the call in exhortation. He who, number five, gives with liberality. That is a grace on some people's lives. The gift of giving. And we need to see the gift of giving rise up in the church. So that the church has what it needs, so that people have what they need. And it's, it's um, with liberality, with freedom. It's a, it's a function. It's a calling. Uh, he who uh, six leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Questions to ask yourself. What ways does God tend to use me? This is, we're not talking about a moment in your life or something. We're talking about a pattern. That God, you can sense that it's not even just my personality or my natural makeup. There is a, a, a gift inside of me to do this thing. God shows up when I'm doing this. Another question, what is in you at the drop of a hat? It's just there. You, you, you perpetually have faith for it. I mean, I can think of some things for me. 
Is it prophecy for you? Is it leading? Is it exhortation? Is it giving? Another question, uh, kind of uh, different ways of asking, in essence, the same question. What do you easily have faith to do? I might have struggled to have faith to go lay hands upon a sick person and pray, but man, I've got faith to work with poor people and to help them in their situation. I, it's just, I don't even have to, I don't even have to get prayed up to do that. You know what I mean? I, I, it's just in me. Not that I'm not depending on God and all that. It's just, you hopefully you understand what I mean by that. Okay, let's do this kind of third and, and final area or division. This one, Ephesians chapter 4. Not, I don't believe, I do not believe everyone are called to these offices, but I feel like they're important for us to know about. So I just want to touch on them. Ephesians 4, some people call them the fivefold gifts. Some people call the gifts of ministry. Some people call it the ascension gifts. Um, <clears throat> I like to call it the equipping gifts. So let's look at that. Ephesians chapter 4, it says that when Christ ascended, he gave gifts to men. That includes women, by the way. Men is a gender-neutral concept when we use it that way in the New Testament, in the Scripture. He gave gifts to men. And he gave some to be apostles. I just want to go back real quick and say he himself, Jesus, gave some. Why, is, why am I saying that? Because many in the church have tried to take the five-fold ministry gifts, or the gifts that we're about to talk about, and the attitude is, because they're the superior big shots, that the church is a gift to them. You're my people. You, you serve me and my vision and my ministry or whatever. And according to the scripture, Jesus gave those people, those people called as gifts to the church. If you're called into one of these offices, humble yourself before Jesus and man. Because you're called to serve him. And serve man. And that's true of every call. Every person in this room, that's true of your call. But let's, let's have a humble attitude of service uh, in the church. But he gave gifts, some to be apostles, firstly, fivefold. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why do we call them the equipping of the gifts? Because the next verse. He gave these five gifts for the equipping of of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Who is called to do the work of the ministry? The saints. Who's the priesthood? Every believer of Jesus. And the priests, to be what they're called to be, need to be equipped to do it. That's the role of the fivefold ministry gifts. That's why we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Simply put, those people tend to be people with preaching and or teaching gifts that equip and train the church, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Uh, how in the world am I forgetting this verse? This is like my verse. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Uh, I'll, I'll read it. For the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. Yes. So in the New Testament, real quick, Paul the Apostle, you ever heard of him? He went out and started planting churches, right? says that he, when he would plant churches, he would ordain elders in every church. 
So there needs to be elders who are shepherding the flock in each church. And as he began to plant these churches, we see certain individuals starting to arise out of these churches and become part of a team that Paul was leading. We see, for example, Timothy. And Paul sends Timothy over to Ephesus. And then we see Titus rise up. And Paul sends Titus over to Crete. And we see Epaphroditus. And he's sent over to Philippi, I think. And we've got uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And they're sent over here. You've got these team. And what we see is a team of five-fold gifts who are called translocally to equip the church globally. Is that making sense? Today, we, this church partners with such a team, and it is no more complicated than what I just described. NCMI, New Covenant Ministries International, is simply an apostolic team made up of men and women who have five-fold giftings, who are called to help build in their local church, and whenever they're called upon to help other partnering churches, they can go over there and help. That's why Minda and I, who serve on that NCMI team, sometimes go to other churches. Rodney and Nita also serve on the NCMI team. You guys are called to be partnered in a global picture. Some of you need to go with Rodney and Nita next time they go to Africa, should you go to Africa again. Called to go with me and Minda. Some of you, and this is the main reason I want to say this, one of the main reasons, are called to stand in one of these offices. And we need to have fivefold raised up from within the local church to be released to equip the body of Christ. This is what we want to see. So do you feel sometimes the desire, the unction, that, that compulsion to preach, to declare, to teach God's people his word? That is an evidence that that gift is in you. Take note of that. Position yourself to be trained for it. I want to say this. Are you still with me? Are we doing okay? All of what we just said, the grace gifts of Romans 12, the manifestations of the spirit of 1 Corinthians 12, the equipping gifts of Ephesians 4, all of your call and every call that ever will exist in the church exists in the, under the umbrella of the call of the church, which is found in Matthew 28, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. What is an apostle? An apostle, just as an example, is somebody who has a... Apostle means sent one. It's all about mission. What is an apostle? Apostle is somebody who equips the church. Remember, fivefold gifts are for equipping, right? Equipping gifts are for equipping. Equips the church for what? To live and to see, and to care about, and to be consumed with the mission and call of God. Well, what is the mission and call of God? Make disciples. An evangelist, what are they called to do? Yes, preach the gospel to people who don't yet know it, so that they can become saved children of God. Yes, but it's also mainly to equip the saints to go be evangelistic, 24-7. That's what the role of the fivefold. The prophetic, what do they do? Yes, they prophesy. Yes, they speak to us of things yet to come. Yes, they show and unveil what God's doing in the earth right now. But they equip the people to be a prophetic people. Are you following? All of that is to help accomplish the purpose of going and making disciples. Unless we become consumed with what am I called to do and who am I and what's my thing, get busy with the mission of sharing your faith and helping others to follow Jesus. 
and your gift fits into that context. As soon as we lose that as the umbrella, the focus, we've gone off course. And there are churches who have become all about the prof- prophecy. That's all they do. Well, that's cool. Uh, it's, God's there. But we've got to be apostolic and be about the big picture of God and the main thing and keep the main thing the main thing. Amen? Isaiah 61, just a little thought, and then we'll go on to the, the other thing that we're going to talk about. <clears throat> Isaiah 61, uh, key, the, 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 the visionary text of Jesus, his mission statement, says, of course, that the Spirit of the Lord God is, is upon me because the Lord has anointed, Isaiah 61, verse 4, that they, the ones who receive the gospel, the ones who are described as poor, they become rebuilders of ruins. And that's what we want to see happen in the church. That's what making disciples looks like. It's not just helping people to grow. It's helping people to grow so that they can be sent and that they go reach more people. And help them to grow so that they can be sent to go reach more people. That's the call. And I hope we can all get into that. And I want to say as an eldership, our discussion right now, if you don't know, Rodney and I serve as elders. And Minda and Nita, part of that, that picture And our discussion right now is, are we as Border City Church actually leading the people of the church to be involved in reaching others and knowing how to disciple them? If not, we need to rethink how we're doing church. And so I want to say, it's a discussion, but I'm just kind of dropping that seed. There could be some adjustments that we need to make in the days to come on how we do what we do to make sure that is happening. That's what you and I are called to do. And I'm saying that to say, let's be rallied around that. Make disciples of all nations. It's what we are called to do. Okay. Praise the Lord. What now? I'd say a couple things. One is yield yourself to his call. It's such a simple thing. But just yield in your heart, in your prayer life. Just say, Lord, here am I. I want to be sent. Send me. Yield. Uh, say, Lord, I, want to, I don't want to just do my own plan for my life. I want to follow your calling. And then coming out of that, the second thing that you can do is to act on the things that you feel led to do. Begin to exercise the promptings of the Lord. Begin to exercise the gifts that he gives you. Okay, let's move on. It says, uh, in the second part of that verse, I think we're in the second verse, yep. Uh, the priests and Levites for burnt offerings and peace offerings to serve, to give thanks, and, and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. Verse 3, the king also appointed a portion of his possessions for the burnt offerings for the morning and evening burnt offerings, the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and the new moons and the set feasts as it is written in the law of the Lord. Moreover, verse 4, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support For the priests and the Levites, that they might, listen to this, devote themselves to the law of the Lord. Now, we've already said that we're all priests, right? But I do want to make a a note here. And here we're talking about literal priests. There are some people, all of us are called. And and I don't want to confuse this, but we're all called 24-7. You know, you don't like turn God on in your life when you go to church. The call, the gift, it's in you all the time. Some people are called vocationally into the ministry. Not everybody is called to earn their living by ministry. Some people are. 
Who supports those who are called vocationally? The church. The church, and that's what we're seeing right here. It's the same in the Old Testament. You see the same thing continuing into the New Testament. That Paul was supported by the churches that he was planted, that he planted. That those who were elders in churches and they labored in word and doctrine, which means that like you go and labor as a doctor this week and somebody else goes and labors as a IT person during the week. Other people are laboring in word and doctrine. And when you labor, you need to make money from your labor or else you're not going to continue laboring. Am I right? You're going to have to find another job. That was the very problem that was in Israel at this time. The priests weren't being supported, and they were having to go back to farms and, and fend for themselves. And here, this, in this restoration, we have the people of God rising back up to generous support to make sure that God's will and pattern for his people was happening. And so, <clears throat> if you'll look with me here. Verse 5, generous support for God's work. And as soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance, the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, and honey, and of all the produce of the field, and they brought in abundantly the tithe, the tithe of everything, the tithe of everything. We see revival happening here, and one of the symptoms of revival is generosity. It is Trust and heart, trust in the Lord and heart smitten by the Lord and free giving into the work of the Lord, whatever the Lord wants. That's what we see happening here. The tithe of everything. Verse 6. And the children of Israel and Judah who dwelt in the cities of Judah brought the tithe. Now, if I was to take a survey quickly of the people in the room here and ask you what does tithe mean, a lot of people would say it's gifts that you give to a church or to a ministry. And I would say, eh. do you know what the Hebrew word translated here as tithe means? It means one thing and one thing only. Tenth. It doesn't mean a gift. It means tenth. You can't give 9% as a tithe. You can't give 11% as a tithe. Tenth. That's what it means. So what the people were giving tithes, why? Because God had instituted. Up to that point, he had ordained that his people worship him financially by giving a tenth off the top first fruits of everything that they received as blessings from him. A, tenth, a tithe of oxen and sheep, also the tithe of holy things which were consecrated to the Lord, their God, they lay in heaps. Just a point that I want to make here. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you, you start to follow Jesus. You start to want to seek his will in every part of your life. At some point, you're going to start thinking, hmm, money. What is God's will for money? And if you seek Jesus around his will, you're at some point probably going to want to search the scriptures. That is where we find, that's the first starting point, prayer in the scripture. And if you're searching the scriptures with regards to money, the first principle that you're going to see all over the Old Testament is tithing. It's the God's, the first line item of the budget for God's people is to make sure that God is the first expense, can I say. That he's the top priority of the budget. To make a de declaration over everything else in your budget. And if you don't, by the way, keep a budget, like have an Excel spreadsheet at the least, if not some kind of a budgeting program, I really encourage you to manage your money. It's a godly thing to do. 
but make sure that the, if, my, if Jesus is who he is and who I, he says I am, then he is at the top of my budget in terms of where, the priority of my, my life. And uh, wh- where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. You know, we can say we love Jesus and he's my everything. Look at your bank statement. That'll show you what your everything is. I'm serious. So anyways, we we find that as the first principle. And I just want to say a couple things about tithing in particular. One is that I don't believe in the New Testament because the New Testament does not uh, emphasize tithing in the same way the Old Testament does. But that doesn't mean that we stop tithing. It means that we're called beyond what the Israelites. Tithing is a first rung of generosity. Am I making sense? If God required of the Israelites who didn't have the spirit of God inside of them to tithe, why would he not, why would he require less of the people of God who have been born again have the Spirit of God and the grace of God operating inside of them, why would he, why would he have them do less than the others? It does, it's, grace lifts us to a higher place. So it's not that we, I don't believe we have to tithe as a law anymore. But it's a first kind of practical litmus test of am I being generous? Am I fulfilling what God has to do in my financial world where money is concerned. So that's one thought. Another thought is Jesus himself ordained. You can look in Matthew chapter 23. He says that, uh, that, you, that he's speaking to the Pharisees that you tithe of your mint, your cumin, your anise, and everything else. He says these things you should have also, uh, should do, but you should also not forget the things of love and mercy and faith. So he, in the New Testament says that we should continue tithing. Another thought I want to throw out about tithing is that there's a thing called the, um, if you see where the tithing is first mentioned in scriptures, Genesis chapter 14. Why is that important that we're looking at where it's first mentioned in the scripture? Because there is a, a hermeneutical principle. Hermeneutical principle. What does that mean? Hermeneutics is our methods of studying the scripture and understanding the scripture. And one hermeneutical principle, I'm not saying this is doctrine, is to look at where a subject is first mentioned, the law of first mention in the scripture. Usually where you see something first mentioned in the scripture, you're going to find the key understandings of that particular subject. So if we understand tithing, where is it first mentioned in the scripture? Genesis chapter 14. And where it's first mentioned in scripture is this, that tithing is to be an expression of your gratitude for the ministry of Jesus in your life. And if we can keep it there, we can keep it pure and holy and where it should be. So look with me, if you, if, you, if you can, if you will, Genesis 14, I'll read it quickly. It says, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaba, Shabe, uh, that is the king's valley, and is returned from the defeat of Kedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, verse 18. Then Melchizedek, Melchizedek, here's this priest. There is no priesthood in Genesis chapter 14. And here's the priest of the Most High God before there ever was a priest. And his name is Melchizedek. And translated from Hebrew, Melchizedek simply means this, king of righteousness. He's Melchizedek. Melchizedek, king of Salem. 
Salem in the Hebrew means shalom or peace. So literally translated, this person's name, whoever he was, it was king of righteousness, king of peace. Who do you think this is? Jesus. He appears out of nowhere to Abram. Jesus dropping right into the Old Testament to manifest himself as the priest of God. And he is the high priest of our confession of faith. And here's Jesus manifesting, and it says that he brought out the bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him, Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Here in a time period before God was really revealed clearly is a priest of God coming to show Abram something of who the identity of God is. He is God Most High. He's the possessor of heaven and earth. He's revealing God, and he's blessing Abraham in the name of God. He's blessing him, and he's revealing God. And, and uh, Abram, out of, uh, out, of his, um, out of his gratitude for what God did to him through this Melchizedek, king of Salem, who we know is Jesus, he demonstrates gratitude. In verse 20 it says, And he blessed God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he, Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. Tithing simply keeps, keeps the God, Jesus, as the top priority of your line uh, of your budget. I just want to quickly say, Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits. Can you say that with me? First fruits. First fruits of all of your increase. First fruits. What does that mean? Off the top. If you were a farmer and you gathered your crop for the season, the first tenth of your crop would be given back into the temple to support the work of the ministry. You and I are largely not farmers, right? I don't think anyone's gathered their crop this spring season yet. But what we do gather is a paycheck. What we do gather is our income. And, and the, uh, the pattern of scripture is off the top, the first fruits before I spend anything else on anything else, my first priority is to sow as gratitude for Jesus and what he's done in my life, to sow with gratitude into his work, and secondarily, to make a declaration over my budget, my trust is in him. If we're doing it out of compulsion, it's not blessing anybody. When we do it as a declaration of faith, it blesses you. And it blesses his work. And his work is financed by the people of God. And in Malachi chapter 3, it's actually in Proverbs chapter 3, what we just read, says, Honor the Lord with all, all of your increase, the first fruit of all your possessions, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. In other words, it's not just for blessing God. It's not just for providing for his work. It is for your own benefit because there's blessing involved. There's blessing involved. And uh, in, in, if you'll jump with me really quick, just real quick, Second Chronicles 31. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm just going to jump to this verse, verse 10. And Azariah, the chief priest from the house of Zadok, answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and plenty left. How many of you want to see that in the church? For the Lord has blessed his people. That's as, as we yield our what is ours to the work of God, God will bless us. 
And it's not like a work earning the blessing of God. It's just the economy of God. You will not walk in the full blessing of God as long as we're stingy and miserly. But generosity becoming a, a vessel that he blesses us and it goes right through us to bless others, that's how the blessing of God comes. He blesses us. And in Malachi chapter 3, it says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Why? That there may be food in my house. What, is, what does that mean? Food in my house. What is my house? My house is a house of prayer for all nations. It's the, the blessing of the nations. There's got to be food in the house of God if we're going to fulfill the call of God. There's got to be resource in the house of God in order to fulfill what God's purposed. How is that food, how is that resource going to be in the house of God? The people of God, as a starting rung of generosity, sowing off of the first fruits of all we have, a tithe back into his work. What do we, at least a tithe. I mean, I think it should be that, that my desire is I want to be giving more than 10% into his work. Tithes and offerings. And... I forgot my train of thought. <laughs> Thank you, Mickey. That's all good. <laughs> oh, yeah. That there may be food in my house, and try me now in this. I want you to take note of those three words, try me now. That is the only place right there in the entirety of the scripture, Old and New Testament alike, where God tells us to test him. The only place is in the area of tithing. Because if you don't tithe and you start tithing, that's the first thing that you're going to feel is, oh my gosh, how is this going to work? Try me now in this and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will be not room enough to receive it. The issue of God is always faith, and faith is always acting on what you hear God say before you see the, 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 the proof of it. And try me now in this. This is the, the way of God for the people of God. And so I would just say to ask ourselves, is Jesus worth being the top line item of my budget? Is he worth a tenth of all that he blesses me with? <laughs> Ask ourselves, how badly do I want to see his work increase in the earth? Because there is a direct proportion to the generosity of God's people and the work of God being done. How badly do I want to see his work increase in the earth? Ask ourselves, is Jesus faithful to supply for my house if I honor his house, his house with the tithe? And to be clear, because I know it can be awkward, this is not about, this is the, about the word of God being done, about restoring the church that Jesus started. This isn't about getting money in the coffers of the church. So, <clears throat> I would say, the, the, in, in terms of responding to the Lord, in terms of um, what we can do right now, I just want to say, first of all, let's all together as a church body desire together to see the true church that Jesus started. Let's, see, let's desire to see that built, according, not according to your ideas, my ideas, 
what's comfortable for me, what I like in church, to the scripture. The scripture. That it would be his purpose, his revealed will. Stay with the scripture. And if the scripture challenges us, let's be us that change, not trying to change the scripture. And let's be a people who are about the leading of the spirit and the word of God that we would see his temple restored in the earth. That's why we want to see everybody participating in the ministry. That's why everybody also carries the work through our generous giving to see the, the thing happen.